Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is keeping well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Thank you very much for tuning in. Hello everyone, Stu here. Went really uh, Radio 2 DJ then for a second. I don't know what that was all about. Uh, I'm not sure, I just, just, I've been summoned by the spirits maybe of light entertainment. <laughs> Although half of the spirits of light entertainment are all dead paedophiles at this point, so... <laughs> That's true. That's, yeah, well, it is the coronation nearly, so... <laughs> <laughs> only, only seems right. <laughs> Incredible, uh, gents. We've got a bit of Nick news to get into before we get into the news. Normal. I know we've all been to see Guardians of the Galaxy, so I thought what we'll do is when we get to the "What have you seen lately?" section, that's probably the best place to do it. I'll put a timestamp in there, but I think we'll try and avoid spoilers best we can. But just so people know. Um. So yeah, we'll start off with the Nick news first. It's been a Nick heavy, well, it's been a fortnight or so since we've done one of these. So the first one was that Nick Cage was recently asked to give his top five Nicolas Cage films. Pig was his number one, which I don't think is a surprise to anybody. Followed by Mandy, Bringing Out the Dead, Bad Lieutenant and Joe. Um, Joe is the only film on that list that I've not seen and... It's a bit of an unknown one. It was released in 2013, and it was about Nick Cage, who takes a young man under his wing after finding out that his father had abused him. Um, any surprises in that top five, do you think, that's, you know, out of Nick Cage's? Uh, only a surprise to us, I guess, because I don't think we were mad Mandy lovers, were we? Um, mm. So that, for us, didn't you know it's one of those really that was in the kind of heyday of when we were talking about color out of space and we had a few other kind of more psychedelic films that that one kind of missed the mark so that one for me really but um other than that no it's it kind of ticks the ticks the boxes he was never going to pick like gone in 60 seconds was he or the big popular <laughs> ones or yeah. like face off or the rock is he it's like asking Springsteen, and you're born to run as his favourite song. Do you know what I mean? It's just never <laughs> yeah. happened. Yeah, it's true. You see that that picture of Springsteen today, where he looked very like uh, <laughs> he put it on Twitter that he looked very much like Michael Barrymore, which is quite worrying. <laughs> no, <laughs> I did see it. that picture. Yeah. Uh, to be fair to him, though, I think he's like what seventy something now, and he, he looks in fantastic nick. To be fair to him. Still like touring and everything as three well. Three-hour shows, isn't he? He's like the hardest working man in rock and roll, or it's called. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough to get to see him a, a few years back, and I was expecting like you know a bit of a, a balmy night with him in his leather jacket, rocking out to, to what have you. And it ended up being like it did a hoedown show, and it was <laughs> all country, like bluegrass. And to be fair, it wasn't at all what I was expecting. But it ended up being a really good night just because mm. it was sort of Springsteen doing what he does best. So he was a really good show. Uh, Stu, anything in that top five of Cages that surprises you? I mean, there's a couple on there, like Joe and, and Bring It the Dead. What the hell? I've never seen that either. That's another it's um, one. Scorsese film in 99, 2000, I think. Really good, really good. Yeah, that's just because I haven't seen it and I've got no idea what it is, so... Um, I, I'm quite surprised that he didn't put Renfield in there, unless he's going for like recency bias and he didn't want to. Um, because I don't think we've we've kind of briefly mentioned it um, 
when you were gallivanting off at how good it was mm. and how perfect Cage was in it as well, that you'd think, well, that in his role in it being his dream thing to play, that that'd be in there somewhere. But yeah, other than that, it, it's not a surprise that Pig's number one at yeah. all. Mm, I think so. I'm, I'm a little bit shocked that um, leaving Las Vegas didn't get a mention just because obviously that was the one that won him the, the Academy Award, but I'm not surprised that Mandy's be that Mandy's in there because it feels like that was the a film that Cage was allowed to do what Cage does. Well, I, I don't know if I I know we didn't love it, but I feel like I a lot of other people do, and yeah. it feels a very Cagey mm-hmm. kind of film. So I sort of understand it, even if I don't necessarily agree. Uh, obviously, we've got our top five revision coming up at the end of this month on our next birthday cast. Um, Nicholas Cage also recently confirmed that he accepted a lot of quote-unquote crummy films in order to pay off a $6 million debt that he had following a real estate market crash in 2008. We've said it a million times. Like We knew there was a reason that that period of the, the early 2010s were full of stinkers, and now we know why he had a $6 million debt for it. That does seem, though... A lot less than I expected it to be, considering the sheer amount of bad films he made. Mm. Where I, you thought, well, okay, well, how much of these, how much is he getting paid for these nonsense things? What half a million, one point five, maybe something yeah. like that. It doesn't seem like why he'd do that rather than just make one good film and just pay it off that way. Maybe because he was out in the cold. I don't know, but. It seems it seems a shockingly low amount to do what he did. I think it's a bit of he's got to try and recoup the debt, but he's also got to continue living at his standard. So you couldn't just pay off six million in one go. So maybe he was chipping away. I don't know, mm. but I do think that explains why those films exist. That's why we've got Left Behind and the likes. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, finally, Nick confirmed that his first memory was being in his mother's womb. (laughs) It's such a Nick Cage thing to say, isn't it? He was quoted as saying, I know this sounds really far out, but I think I can go all the way back to in utero and feeling like I could see faces in the dark or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Stu, what was your earliest memory? Um, I think it's one of these things where I don't know if it's my earliest memory or one of them memories that you've seen photos of and then it's kind of yeah been placed in there. But obviously before when I went like train spotting and stuff when I was seven um, in real, I remember that vividly. But there's times in, in that part of the world as well where we were on caravan holidays and the, I remember being at a zoo and thinking about it, why... One of either Mark or Lindsay were in the in a buggy. I would only have been about four, so about four or five, something like that. Definitely not in the womb. <laughs> Although actually, I, I do remember my first day at nursery, but obviously that's when when is that? Four. So yeah, is it three and a half to four and a half, and then you're on to primary school? Yeah, because <laughs> I should know this, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I remember my first day at nursery very vividly, weirdly enough. Strange, isn't it? Matt, have you got any early, early memories? Um, 
again, it would have been nursery or, well, I think reception or nursery. I played a little mouse in a Christmas production and <laughs> I had to, and I think I only remember it though, because there's a video of it. Like, I don't know if I remember it or remember, I don't know, but I go, I basically, I'm the hero of the piece and I end up going, I'll help him. And then, I, <laughs> and then still, I've still got it as well. So I've got the line. And I, I um, like I go save the day or something and use a piece of thorn to get Santa out of a chimney or something. And I seem to remember that. And I remember that it, back in the first house that me and my brother lived in with my mum when uh, we were growing up was in Dunstall, mm. Carter Road in Dunstall. Terrace, like terrace house, terrace council house. And um, I remember me and my brother used to share a room and like it felt massive at the time but i bet if like i went to that house now i bet it'd be like no bigger than this garage mm. um, and i just remember like I, I don't know why like the first thought that comes to my head is that we used to have a measuring jug under the bed as where we'd piss in the night <laughs> that's like I could just remember that measuring jug and i was just like it's just the one thing that comes to my mind that we used to have the wee wee jug and did you was, have? Um, did you have a specialist like um, a sick, but not a sick bucket, like a sick bowl of some kind, or did you use the like, like when we, <laughs> as always, used to be the washing up bowl that then used to be bleached within an inch of his life after after you'd been sick in the night. No, we never had that. But these these houses were like we were we were in the quite literally the furthest point from the toilet because the toilet. I guess in these houses of old would have been like an outhouse. So mm. you go down from yeah. the top of the house, down a set of stairs through what would have been a dining room, but it wasn't a dining room. It was really the living room because you had a front room that was on the street, street front. Then you go through the kitchen, then through a little thing and then the toilet at the very end. Um, and so it was like when you're a kid, you know, there's ghosts and monsters to be worried about. Yeah. So you ain't got time for that. So you just, in the measuring jug and be the bed. Yeah, my uh, my <laughs> uncle lives in one of them in Hart Road in Wensfield, just about around the corner from the Con Club. I know exactly the type of house that you're on about. Mm. Yeah, they're very they're like they're, every student accommodation I've ever been to was exactly the same as well. It's like those were the houses that were kind of yeah. for it. Um, yeah, good times though, man. Like it was one of the. I know people go, uh, oh, the good old days, but like we actually knew our neighbours, and it was. You know, it was just it was just a good time. Kids played in the street, and you know, you know. <laughs> <Do that. laughs> yeah, the good times. Oh yeah, I think my earliest memory. I remember being in a high chair, so I'd have been what maybe three around that age. You think in a mm-hmm. high chair, uh, playing with some Star Wars figures that I'd have had for Christmas. I, I like I vaguely remember the um, one of Jabba's men. You know, the one with the pink. Long, not dreadlocks, but they were supposed to be that kind of thing. Yeah. Rap strange. I, I remember that. I can't remember the character's name, but I remember having that one and Admiral Akbar. I, I don't know why it's such a vivid memory of playing with these toys. And obviously, I was born in '83, which is when Jedi was out. So those toys would have been probably like '85, coming '86. So yeah, that's, that's my earliest memory. But I remember my first day at uh, nursery as well. Like my best friend, who I still talk to, like now, she fell off the, not a jungle gym, but that's like a slide. She fell and cracked her head on the floor. 
and I just remember laughing and that's why I love like you've been framed now because I like seeing <clears throat> people fall and hurt themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on, um, on the smaller screen this time, the Writers Guild of America have called for a strike. In a nutshell, the writers want a bigger piece of the pie. Since their last strike, obviously, there's been the rise of streaming, and that has pretty much like slashed their residuals, whilst those at the top have just made more and more money. Um, so, obviously, they want to try and level the playing field a little bit, which I think is completely fair, to be perfectly honest. A lot of the American talk shows and SNL have immediately gone on to strike because obviously that's a day-to-day operations for those writers. Um, It's quite interesting that the man who called for the writers to have their wages slashed recently is also the same one whose show ended the day before the writers' strike. Um, The director of football at Chelsea, James Corden, his (laughs) long-running TV show is now dead which apparently is not surprising because he was leaving a $20 million hole uh, in the budget. It cost $65 million to produce and he was only recouping 45. So I think it was a case if he was pushed before he could... Uh, sorry, he, could, he jumped before he was pushed. Uh, have you seen any of the footage from his last show, either of you? I saw... All I saw was some interview about him... And his his kids have got to a certain age and blah blah blah. The reasons kind of why they're calling it a day. That's the only thing I've seen. I don't watch any American kind of chat show TV, so mm. you could you having a clue about what it's like as a TV show or anything. Yeah, Stu, have you caught any of of the final? No, I try and yeah. avoid it as much as possible. Him, <laughs> yeah. him, not not American chat. Show. I do. I actually do quite like um, quite a lot of them. I've, I'll. I watch a lot of the um, in the old days we used to have like Letterman on ITV Two Day. We used just the day yeah. the, the day after, obviously, um, which I used to like that. I used to watch it every day, and then you, you like um, Jimmy Fallon and stuff. So you, you get the clips on YouTube and whatever, but not Corden. No, no. Uh, the only reason I caught any of it is because. Um... Scottish comedian Limmy was doing like a Twitch <laughs> stream where he was watching it. And he, the opening of the last show was him doing a musical number, which I find so fucking egregious because James Corden cannot sing. Like, I don't understand how he keeps getting musical roles in Hollywood films. He's not a good singer. Um, but he does this whole show and then Limmy at the end just goes, what a cunt. And that <laughs> sort of sums up everything, really. Uh, so, like, is there anyone that we've exported to the US who's been more undeserving of the success that they've had than James Corden? Stu, what, what do you think? I just don't understand it. And I don't know anyone who likes him. This is the point. Either side of the <laughs> pond. Like you talk to everyone, all our American mates and whatever, and you mention Corden and everyone he pisses everyone off. The only thing he's ever done that was any good was his little speech about the Super League. That was good because he was mm. speaking from the heart. Then he wasn't scripted nonsense. He was just talking as a fan, which is fine. But he's just so annoying. And I, I, I was trying to wrap my brains about this question because I don't think there is. I think he's the worst ever. Yeah, he's um, he's the worst. He's worse. <laughs> maybe. Oh, why not? He's worse than export than Gary Glitter was to the Philippines. <laughs> good gracious. <laughs> And he's probably done more damage. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, maybe. 
Uh, Matt, what do you think? Um, I th- I can understand why he's successful. It's the soft, pudgy face of light entertainment, isn't he? And he sp- he speaks quite well. He doesn't have a really um, outrageous accent, and he's. If he did stand up, he'd be Michael McIntyre, wouldn't he? I, like I just, I get it. it. It appeals to the lowest common denominator. Mm. You know, like he was in Fat Friends, really good show. Yeah, gotta say, um, Gavin and Stacey is broad but quite funny, um, and he's just he just exists. He's a tame Ricky Gervais, isn't he? Like he's just just skimmed milk. <laughs> like, I, I, I just under, I understand I understand it because he's just the soft face of British light entertainment. Like I I I understand why like Americans lap it up as well. Um, mm. Do I find him particularly funny? No, I don't. Are there are there worse people that we've exported to the continent uh, onto the American continent that are a lot worse human beings? Yes, Piers Morgan being one of them, Simon yeah. Cowell being another. <laughs> so there are worse people out there than James Corden. It's just that he has the personality of beige, doesn't he? He's a he's an onion mm. ring next to a steak and a delicious pot of peppercorn sauce. You know, he's just <laughs> not he's he's just not that exciting as a person. I don't think. Yeah, yeah that that's the thing. I'd rather have Simon Cowell or Piers Morgan just because they don't really care, do they? And they they are going to provoke a reaction rather than just being. They've at least got food. some personality, haven't they? I think. Whereas, I always feel with Corden, like he just he just says what people want, which which I think comes to your point of him being. Well, he's not even Michael McIntyre. He's the beige Michael McIntyre. He's so mm. much more inoffensive and. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I I struggle to think of many worse people that we've sent over in terms of actual ability of what for what they do. I think Ruth Jones should be hung, drawn and quartered for, you know, giving him a platform to <laughs> then go on and do all of this, really, because she was far more talented, but he was the one who seemed to get the plaudits. So, mm, never mind. <clears throat> uh, finally, the Super Mario Brothers movie has crossed the $1 billion mark on its fourth weekend. It's the first film to break a billion in 2023. It's the first animated film to break a billion since before the pandemic. Only the third ever non-Disney animated film to break a billion and the 10th animated film overall to do it. The current biggest box office animated film is uh, Frozen 2 with 1.45 billion. So it's got a long way to go, but I can see this staying in the cinema for, you know, another three or four, uh, you know, maybe to the end of the month, midway through next month, as long as it doesn't go to streaming too early. When I looked on the Cineworld app, around this area most of our cinemas are still showing it three four times a day we've got a couple of bank holidays coming up plus obviously weekends and everything so i think it could quite easily push for the uh, the, the big number one overtake frozen two um is this in discussion for one of the top five animated films so next time we do a, a top five if we were to do animated would this be in contention for you matt that's a very good question. Um, I think, yeah, yes, I think so. On the basis of quality and um, revenue and everything else, uh, in terms of that, 
you know, it's it leans closer to the kid friendly than the smutty animated film that's got happens to be aimed at children. Do you know what I mean? That some of these yeah. films are. Um, but I had a, you know, from a purely enjoyment point of view, I really, really had a good time with it. So, so yeah, why not? I'm struggling to think off the top of my head films that you know are beating it. Really, is it top? Probably, probably not. But it's it's not far off. Hmm. Stu, would it be? You know, obviously, I'm not asking for your top five or where you'd place it. But is it something you would think about, or did would you just dismiss it as it being a bit of fluff? What, what do you think? If Moana did, didn't exist, it'd be number one. Okay. I, 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 and you said it's it's still in cinemas. I, I'm very tempted to go because we got week week as well. Remember, so yeah, yeah we have in, in a couple of weeks. So. I ain't doing anything over Coronation Weekend, obviously, because we are patriots. Um, yeah. And we're going to watch the Villa match instead. <laughs> Fuck them. So, yeah, I ain't doing it this weekend. But if, if you get Whit Week and it's still in there, why not? I I can't believe how much I've thought about that film. It's <laughs> 90 minutes of, well, effectively, cotton candy, as our Atlantic friends call it. But it is, it's... It doesn't surprise me in the in the slightest, and the best part about it is the fact that it's it showed all the critics up to be complete idiots because everyone it was massively panned. It was getting like it was on about sixty three, I think, at one point mm-hmm. um, before it came out, and then it's got to this level, and everyone's just raving about it. And you think, well, yeah, you're clearly just stuffy arseholes who've got no fun in your lives, <laughs> and even you liked it as well. I mean, don't get me wrong, I understand some of the, the, the critics' issues with it because it's 50% of a film and 50% an advert for Nintendo. So like, I understand why the critics don't like it, but the film side of it was good enough and the advert side of it was me getting all giggly because it was my youth again. So, yeah, like... I don't think it would be in my top five because I don't think there's enough depth. But I also wouldn't dismiss it as you know a very enjoyable afternoon spent. So what more can you ask for from an animated film from you know one of the the lesser known studios? So yeah, right. So that is the news for this week. Matthew, have we had any listener questions? Uh, yes, we should have. Um, if you'll stall for me for a brief moment, should we vamp? Um, should we what? Sorry, vamp. I think it's what they do on stage when they're like trying to buy time, so they'll do the jazz hands and stuff. Yeah, or were we vamping? Um, in Inception, were we actually questioning vamping while we were vamping? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Matt, have you heard of of vabbing? Is this a sexual thing? Possibly. <laughs> is it so much to do with dabbing? Yes, it's it's very much like that. Yes. Oh, okay. I've got a like a bang in. Uh, it's um, ladies using their own natural scent and applying it with using their fingers to their uh, neck area. Oh, like a pheromone. Yeah. That shows an age difference there, because I assumed you meant dabbing in like the Paul Pogba sense, like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought it was something like something like that. Um, oh, God. Matt Cunnington wants to know, 
What have Chelsea done to Raheem Sterling? Or is he just <laughs> past his best now? That's a great question. I like that question. That's really good. Um, part of me wonders if it's a bit of the Michael Owens. Like, you know, remember when Michael Owen broke through and he played so many games so young that by the time he was mid-20s, he was fucked. Mm. Like, I wonder if there's a little bit of that with Sterling. Because he broke through at, what, 17 and played a lot of games. And also he's in a very, very basket case Chelsea team. So... I don't know, because he was still solid enough at uh, Man City last season. Maybe it's the move more so than, than anything, but part of me does wonder if they've, he's just run out of steam um, and his legs just can't keep up anymore. Mm. I think I think it's just that club. I think for, for, <laughs> for that squad to be in talk of relegation is a joke <laughs> in itself. And <laughs> then players should be nowhere near the bottom half of the table, should they really? I, no. You just you look you look at it and think, well, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes all the sense in the world, and it it's kind of the lesson that everyone needed after the last few years, and <laughs> that throwing silly money at it with no plan is never going to mm. work, and it's it's gone spectacularly wrong. It's it's just glorious to see, and I think with Sterling, I think it, it, with someone competent, I think he could get him playing again pretty easily. Really, he doesn't look like. Like Owen, he doesn't look a bit like Fowler before him as well, and that kind of peak too soon player. He just looks like clueless, like the rest of them. Mm, it's it's been fun one, to it? see, though. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, there's always got to be... The thing is, it's been a season. It's been a really weird season where only up until, I'd say, like the last two fixtures, there have been no teams that have been like on the beach because... You've you've had teams all the way down to kind of tenth that could qualify for Europe, and teams all the way down to like twelfth that could have got relegated. So it's been like a proper like there hasn't been a lot of passengers this season. Yeah. So it's been a really strange. I mean, don't get me wrong, I can't wait for it to be over. It's been the longest <laughs> season in history, um, and I just want it to be done now. Like I can't wait for the price increase on the season ticket because at least it means the previous season is is over. Um. Yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a season to be fair. Yeah, it certainly has. Hmm. Um, and a question from uh, good good old Ash Dolan, good friend of the show, Ash Dolan. We uh, we love him dearly. After the masterpiece that was John Wick Four, is it time the relevant awards ceremonies starting celebrated choreography and awarding for it as a bonus? What's your favourite piece of choreography on film, Stuart? Well, yeah, they absolutely should. I'm amazed that they don't actually. Not with the Oscars, because obviously it's, it's too populist for them. Um, oh, choreography. Um, there was a lot in that film itself, like we talked about before, like the, the top down mm. hot, hotline Miami kind of scene. Um, I wouldn't say film wise, but the last time I was kind of like jaw dropped was that. Um, that one shot in Daredevil mm. in the corridor that was stunning, and obviously the amount of times <laughs> and the amount of practice would have had to go into that, um, just exceptional. But yeah, b- before that, I'll probably I'll stick I'll the Matrix just because it was stuff that a lot of it needed to happen all at once, and you could see on the original VHS extras the amount of time and place and all the th- all the things that had to happen. Just to get one shot, especially with all the bullet time and the polystyrene everywhere, 
let alone the choreography on top of that. But yeah, I'll go Matrix. Andy, what about yourself? It's a good choice, that one is. Um, like To his question, I do think that even the Oscars should be giving some praise towards the... The, the team of the, the of everyone who puts it because it, it is so much more than just like the director shooting isn't it like the stuntmen have to get through some shit there was a video doing the rounds for john wick of the one guy who was falling down the staircase <laughs> and he just looks rough as fuck and you think like obviously you get paid a, a good wage for it but you also deserve the accolades that come along with it um so yeah they, they definitely deserve it and the the scene where they're doing the hundred steps to get up toward to the the final showcase that is such an impactful scene with him and the blind fella at one point where they're fighting off all the bad guys it's so well done absolutely loved it um the first one that springs to mind for me the inception scene where it's obviously all zero gravity mm. floating around and everything the way that they pulled that all together was just magic it was some of the best um choreography and just filmmaking in general i thought it was absolutely superb and i I don't know if it's just because i've recently watched it but in um the the i was gonna say the final indiana jones but it's not the final one um it's the raiders i think it is where they're fighting on top of the tank is it raiders um is it raiders the last arc or is it one of the earlier ones i honestly can't remember yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. I've got it pictured. I just can't remember which film it fits into. I think it might be Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he's fighting on top of the tank. I love that scene. It's just good fun, silliness, but also decorating towards the edge of a cliff. So you're a little bit apprehensive, a little bit nervous. I just think that's really well done as well. I don't know why that one came to me. Like I say, it might be because I've recently seen some indie films. So maybe that's why. You know, on John Wick 4, though, have you seen the... Um... The excellent video that the Corridor crew did this time, and they've um, they've put Steven Seagal in John Wick, and yes, uh, and cut called it John Thick. Yeah, <laughs> exceptional work. Yeah, that is very good. Very good. Very what would you good. pick then, Matt? Um, stuff one really. I think about some of the, I think about some of the scenes like Kingsman and. The one in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 towards the end of the movie was pretty spectacular, to be fair. Um, I think fight scenes like that really do tick a box for me because it's it's not necessarily the creativity of body movement, but the creativity of painting the picture of what's around them, I think, is so special. So the Kingsman one, like in the church, for example, it's just... Like you can watch it five times and see five different fight scenes because you're watching everything that's going on in the background, and I think that takes a you know a real visionary to put that together. Mm. Yeah, good choice. That's uh, that's you a lot, but um, if you do have any questions, and uh, you know if you've been a long time lurker, uh, <laughs> but never put a question in, um, and you're one of our where what country was it that we're ridiculously high up the charts? I can't remember. It was like Czechoslovakia. It the, or... Yeah, it's the Czech Republic. I think if you're one of our Czech, <laughs> if you're one of our Czech friends, then get in touch, as we would love to hear from you and uh, answer your questions. Super lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, moving on to hot tech corner. Jerry Springer recently kicked the bucket, and obviously we've been sharing some TikToks in our WhatsApp. Uh, group chat um what is the man's legacy good and bad Stu? 
mean, I was actually really upset with this. <laughs> it's like, well, he's, he's a guy from your kind of formative years who's always been there. And obviously we had that, that couple of years when he was just doing the, the UK version before uh, Jeremy Kyle. But I think his legacy is probably about it's fine to humiliate people. <laughs> and like you're kind of breaking down the barriers of shame more than anything else. Because when, like when you was talking about neighbours earlier and, and like how we, you look back at the, the good old days and you talk to your neighbours, when there was neighbours next door to us who my mum went to school with her, and the one night we, they were ranting and raving at each other on the literally on the doorstep and she was chucking the clothes and things at him and it was like a proper Jerry Springer kind of thing, just <laughs> with, just without Steve. Um but obviously everyone got the curtains twitching and everything and we had the, that, the landing window so you could peek out. And she was like, oh, you don't understand. She went, I do understand. You should never have fucked your sister, should you? <laughs> and, <laughs> at the top of her voice in front of everyone and the, the curtains all went straight back out of that. <laughs> and that, that was about 98, 99. That would never happen without Jerry Springer. Mm. So, if anything else, he, he bought us that moment. <laughs> Matt, what about yourself? What do you think? Um, uh, because it's like the other side of the pond, like there's just a, a kind of a shameless enjoyment of it being popcorn TV that doesn't really have any like effect on you whatsoever. Like it's just watching funny things happen to dim-witted people. <laughs> but it wasn't really until like the, the scandal with the Jeremy Carl show that you think, oh, are, are you know... Mm. These dim-witted oafs are living and breathing amongst us, and we probably have friends in that scenario as well. <laughs> um, it's a strange one, really. I think I, I think the Jerry, uh, the Jerry Springer side of it, there was a lot more of the entertainment, and it wouldn't be anywhere. It's a lot more forced entertainment anyway. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure. It's It definitely wasn't 100% real, I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plants and everything else. And then you get your really weird ones, like when they had the Ku Klux Klan on and stuff like that. <laughs> and yeah. those are just, that's just golden television, isn't it? Yeah. What more do you want to see than that? And um, what's his legacy? Well, in America, he's, you know, it's, it was like that era of Playboy and everything else that we sh- you were young enough to know better. But what's the phrase? Old enough to know better, young enough to not care. And that's what mm. Jerry Springer is, really. And I think it harks back to a time where it... Yeah, we know it was stupid and we know it was silly and probably more harm than good, but you didn't really care. And I think that will be his legacy, really. Yeah. I think... Probably for me and you more so, Matt. Maybe Stu as well, thinking of the timing. Um, like, the impact it had in the wrestling world. Mm, God, yeah. I mean, when you think that, I think you can draw a direct line from Jerry Springer to the NWO to the Attitude Era, which obviously was the, not the most profitable, but the most popular time for wrestling, uh, you know, that's ever been. So I think that there's going to be that level of of legacy on on a personal level. But there is also that legacy now that we, because we've had the exploits of that, which led to Britain trying to do it, like you mentioned with Jeremy Kyle, the number of people who ended up taking their own lives because of 
that kind of exploitative television. And it feels like they're trying to put safeguards in place now. Mm. It's a long time coming, but I think that maybe his legacy could be that they're not going to be exploiting, or at least I hope that they're not going to be exploiting people to the same level that they were then. So I hope that something good can at least come out of it. As you say, it was very much heightened reality. I'm sure some stories are true, but I'm sure a lot of them are bullshit made up for people to whoop and holler in the crowd. Um, but mm. people don't always necessarily notice that, do they? And they no. I mean, the wrestling yeah. link literally happened in that they did a WWE did a series to up for TV with Jerry Springer hosting it, did, it. Yeah. and that like as a direct link of kind of his sensational antics and the 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 stories that were sensational within wrestling. So. Yeah, and I think that 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 whole era in in like American culture where you know it was all big tits, blonde hair, get your mm. knackers out for beads on Jerry Springer. It's just it was just the done thing. Mm. I mean, I mean, of all of all of these shows, though, I mean, the goat was Maury anyway, um, <laughs> because you know you get like okay, X Factor winner. Right, we're about to uh, we're about to reveal the X Factor winner, and then there'll be five minute pause, and there'll be loads of camera shots, and they'll be like really at ramp up the volume. He was like no complete no fucks. He was like the lie detector test determined you're not the father. He was like he was just super quick. There was no tension whatsoever, <laughs> and it was just a load of people jumping up, being delighted that their kids wasn't theirs. Um, <laughs> I mean that's that's good telling. I think that was where that Steve. I'm sure that Steve was Maury, not Springer. No. Was he not? It was Jerry. Because he, he had his own spin-off years yeah, later. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I see, I think the one, the first one I remember watching was Ricky Lake. I, I, for some reason, that I think that was the first mm. one. Ricky Lake and Sally Jesse Raphael, they used mm. to show on Sky mm. One. Um, but then, like, they were fairly serene, level-headed. Like They, they were very much like the Kelly Clarkson show of yesteryear. Like they were nice and happy, and then Jerry came along, and all of a sudden they were, you know, harassing and hounding people. So you know, it it did change the world of daytime television in the, at least in the states. And but as always, England follows suit a little bit later. To be fair, though, I'm only doing one thing when I finish recording this, and that's watching Jerry Springer highlights on TikTok. So <laughs> that's all you need to know. To be fair, I'd, I'd recommend watching Jerry Springer, the opera. Is it the opera? Mm. I think it's called the opera, yeah. Um, the Stuart Lee piss take of the whole thing. It's very funny, very good. I'd, I'd recommend that one if you've got a few hours spare. Uh, moving on, the non-film question this week is yours, please, Stu. So, so you giggle, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this shows how much they are watching and, and listening to us because we're literally... Minutes after I, I, <laughs> I mentioned it, it, this subject appeared as a promoted thing on uh, on Twitter, and then again it came up tonight um, from the National Trust. And it is the age-old question of what do you think of bees, Matt? <laughs> what do I think of bees? Um... Do you appreciate them? Are they, are they cute little fuzzy little friends? A bumblebee is. A bumblebee is a lovely, adorable little thing, but a bee, bees as a collective, um, not so much. But I understand that they're... I think we'd all be dead if bees didn't exist, is my understanding. 
for some i remember reading somewhere that like if they didn't exist not that like there'd be no plants but that essentially would be would be dead without bees so i have to appreciate them in in some capacity much like bus drivers <laughs> i guess um i've got nothing against bees i mean normal bees just normal bees won't sting you unless provoked it's, it's wasps that will do that so yeah i've got a problem with bees i'm all for bees yeah, I agree. I, I quite like a bee. As you say, they're they're very important part of the ecosystem in that they create f- help create food for us, and they're also food for something else. Else, so they play a, a you know, quite an important role. And I think bee numbers have dropped over the years, which has been a concern. Um, as you say, they're not you know wasps and hornets, which are just the cunts of the insect world. Like they're, <laughs> they're just horrible things who will attack you just because you happen to be there and they don't seem to play a positive role other than just being food for birds um so uh, yeah i agree i like i like bees i think they're you know they're um they're a handy creature to have and we're better off with them like i've even got some plants in the garden which are bee friendly you know to try and help pollinate the uh, the world so to speak yeah, because one actually, why I thought about it because one one landed on my arm when I, I was gardening earlier in the week, mm-hmm. and like you even have to go back a couple of years, and I would have like kind of shooed it away, but it kind of looked at me, and no, no, kind of sexual way, but it kind of it, it turned at me, <laughs> and it, it was like it didn't it didn't show fear. And I thought, oh, no, you can stay there; you're not doing any harm. You're fine. So I just carried on getting the weeds out and stuff, and it just stood there on my arm, just kind of perfectly content. And I thought, oh, it's having a great old time. But then, <laughs> then ever since that happened, I was in I was in Wensfield, and in the charity shop window, there was a, a toy bee. There was a, like a cuddly toy <laughs> bee in the window. And then there was all this stuff on, on Twitter that was promoted to me about bees. And I thought, well, something's going on here. And it's like when in X-Files, where they had the whole thing about the bees... <laughs> being key to the alien invasion, which they're clearly not doing this time. But oh, I just thought, oh, no one really talks about bees anymore. Although it just needed to be raised. I, I appreciate that. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, Stu. I don't want this to be like a just stop oil kind of initiative here or anything like that. <laughs> However, right, you've shared an emotional connection with that bee, right? That you have somehow transmitted to that bee that you are not a threat and it should be, it's fine to be there and it's understood it. Your words, not mine, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you've you, you what a gift you had there with that power. <laughs> when, like, you could obviously do that, you probably have that with your cats and other, other pets and stuff. Do you not think that you could have that with a chicken or a, or a cow or? a little piglet, and then not feel a, 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 an element of guilt that then that would be killed for your food pleasure. No. That you're, that you're killing something sentient <laughs> that will, like, you know, um, that you obviously could have an emotional connection with and it would feel safe in your presence. Well, it would feel safe until I broke its neck, if it was a chicken. But my, my, my mother-in-law actually got chickens now. got three of them in the garden, and they were, I went around and they were, like, making the kind of purr noise at me. Which is weird, um, but no, food is food, and that's what they are. And you can't really eat a bee, can you? You'd be kind of 
waste of waste of time, really. Um, you had enough of them. Yeah, be be soup. Isn't that how honey puffs are made anyway? <laughs> like I, I thought that's what it was. They but do no, think I... that the next like protein source is going to be insect. Like going forward, once the uh, Earth gets you know even more fucked than it already is, <laughs> do you think that we'll be going insect will be the next sort of source of protein? Um, I'm not ready for that. But like I, I get your point completely there, Matt, because you do need to have some cognitive dissonance to love animals and then tuck into a burger afterwards. I, I get it, and I wish I didn't like meat as much as I do, but at the same time, it's how the world works, which is such a shitty cop-out answer, but it is. And yeah. I, listen, I am as guilty as anybody because if for the reasons I've literally just said, I should be a vegan because it's no better than a cow being kept alive than being hooked up to a machine to pump its milk out and being given things to pump milk out and everything else. Like I get that completely, but it's like it's baby steps for me anyway. But it's just one of those things where like I remember in lockdown, me and Sam went for a walk to the fruit farm and I saw this little pig and it looked back at me and it was proud as punch. And I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, like, and then like a few months later, I was like, bang, let's, let's, let's try it. Let's try it. And, and here we are. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to start throwing a pig carcass at the Mona Lisa or anything like that, <laughs> but it's just one to think about. Mm. Yeah. A question for you as a coffee drinker. What do you think of the alternative milks? Oh, they're not milks, are they? But, you know, an alternative to milk, your almond, your oat, etc. Um, I like oat quite a bit. An oat mm-hmm. latte gives it a nice flavour as opposed to anything. Like I'd have it purely for, fa- for flavour alone. Um, almond milk can can fuck off and die, really. I mean, that's what I accidentally <laughs> ordered in Cineworld the other day. Like, I just wasn't thinking. I ordered an almond instead of oats, and it was just the worst thing I've ever drunk. And I ordered, like, a large as well, because I was like, oh, it's only 20p extra. I know that's how they get you. But, um, yeah, it's disgusting. Like, coconut doesn't belong anywhere near a coffee unless it's a coconut syrup. Um, don't mind soy, but it, it almost curdles. You have to wait till your coffee's cooled down before you put it in. Um, mm. So there's some decent there's some decent ones out there. I purchased some oats. Uh, oat barista milk. Mm, yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, it's good. Like the actual texture of it and everything when it goes into the coffee is spot on. It's really good. Quite like that. And I've seen some TikToks of people making their own oat milk. So I'm I'm kind of tempted to give it a shot myself just to see what it comes out like. I keep seeing like videos of people going, "How do you milk a nut?" And then it just like goes to the like the Pornhub music. <laughs> it's just like, well, here we go. <laughs> we we had some um when we for some ridiculous reason there was no delivery of milk that day and we had to wait for a heron to open before I could go and buy some. Um so they had some oh, the um the nut milk and it was all right. It was fine. As a as a kind of one off, it wasn't disgusting, which I expected it to be. Mm. Um But yeah, fine. I mean, I, ha- hazelnut milk is incredible. I mean, I've had I've tried that. It's like everything, like I, I said before, that I, I'd rather have corn mints than beef mints the vast majority of the time, just because it's more the beef's grizzly and unless you, you you get the odd one that's that's bad and it kind of puts you off a bit. But 
I've got no problem with you. I like you a lot, and I've said it about uh, no meat burgers before. I've had a couple that have been great, but at the same time, if they were cleverer than me, they'd kill me, wouldn't they? So, did I send you the picture of? Did I send you the picture of the pie? Which pie? I had a pie a couple of days ago from Sainsbury's because it was reduced because it was really expensive. This pie minster pie. I've been to like the pie minster restaurants and they're really good. I swear to God, this was the most incredible fake meat item I've ever ate in my entire life. So, Stu, next time you go to Sainsbury's, I'll wire you the money to buy it because <laughs> you, you need to have it. Honestly, it was so tasty. It was unbelievable. Really rich and delicious. Oh, proper, I'm going to say meaty, but obviously. It is. You know, I mean, you know what I mean. Close your eyes and eat it. It's dead because it, because it, they they make, they got corn flour in it to like thicken it up like a thick gravy. Yeah, it looks like steak. Yeah, it is. It's banging. Oh, fantastic! Same so was, was it that? Yeah, so pie minster moolus, steak, jackfruit, and real ale pie or something like that. I, I do like a pie minster. We went up to Trentham Gardens a couple of months ago now, and they've got a pie minster there, and we sat in, and it was like. 12 quid something like that and you get a, a, a sizable pie mash and sides and everything to it like yeah, yeah it's um decent value for what you got and yeah lovely and that was bees everyone yeah that was bees <laughs> <laughs> right so what i've been watching lately um tell us what you've been watching and then we'll do guardians of the galaxy at the end of this section matt what's been on your telly box or in the cinema so I, I'm back. I'm back, baby. The bitch is back. I'm back in the Cineworld crew. So I've been to see Air. Unbelievable. Coming to Amazon Prime on May 12th. Uh, I've been to see Renfield. Brilliant. Loved it. Um, saw um, Guardians of the Galaxy last night. And what did what was the first thing I saw me and Sam went to go? Oh, then Super Mario um, went to go see that. So I've seen all that at the cinema. Wasn't a bad film amongst them. Annoyingly... Any one of them could make my top five for the year so far. Um, yeah. they, they were they were all great. Really enjoyed it. The, Sam's started watching Sweet Tooth season two. Well, I haven't really watched much of it with her. To be fair, she's played she's played ahead with it, which is fine. Um, I'm just enjoying the last few episodes of what's building up to the finale for Ted Lasso series three, which has just been mm. an absolute delight from start to finish. It's They've re like they've fleshed out those characters so much. Ted Lasso as a character could not appear in the show now until the very end, and he almost wouldn't be missed because mm. there's so much depth with the other characters' stories. Um, yeah, brilliant. Really, really enjoying it. I'm getting the feeling that Ted Lasso might be stepping out of the show come the end of the season. Like it feels like his story is back in the states at the mm -hmm. end of the year. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, like you said, he it could go on with everybody else. Like they're, they're strong enough within the characters that they've built. Like if, so, if, if yeah. at the end of the series, he left and coach beard led Richmond mm -hmm. in any other TV show, it would like, it'd be like having friends and then having Joey this, this like, yeah, this wouldn't be like that. Like it would be perfectly watchable like without him. Um, as long as it kept its core, feel and, and and not values as like some corporate shill but it was <laughs> you know if it kept its it, it, you know the way it was presented yeah absolutely um speaking of air 
like there's been tweet going round where people have been asking what's the first film that made you feel like cinema is back this year and for me air is that film that feels like it's the first proper film i've seen this year even like the whale and stuff pre oscars that i enjoyed air feels like the first proper film that i've watched this year absolutely loved that one i was very pleased when you said that you enjoyed it as well mm, brilliant yeah uh Stu, what you've been watching um, pretty much exactly the same things other than air. <laughs> that was that was just a matter of time now because I just ran out of time to watch it, not a kind of banshee situation. Um, so I'll I'll wait for Prime and I'll watch it there. Um, but yeah, with with the Ted Lasso thing, I think it has to end for him anyway because his tale is done. Really, yeah. It's he's the fact that he's not even in it that much anyway anymore. <laughs> um, gonna say everything about it really, but. Yeah, it's. I like it. I can't think of a show that's gone from short little skit like episodes to a proper like drama like Cold Feet, like it seems now, um, which is kind of strange. But yeah, love it, obviously. Um, the other one was, um, which so many people have started talking about it. And I thought, well. If I don't watch it now, it's just going to get spoiled, ain't it? So I'm going to have to force myself. And I didn't have any really interest in it at first. Um, that's Beef on Netflix. Uh, I watched the first three, and yeah, it's pretty good. You know, there's there's a couple of laugh out loud moments in it, and it, it's not really what I thought it would be. Um, and Korean American stuff, I, I have no real knowledge at all about. So it's a bit. Bit of a bit of a education as well, but yeah, I've I've liked it so far. Three out of ten uh, episodes watched, so I'll watch that for the rest of the week and be done for the next time we do this. Um, but yeah, and then obviously Guardians yesterday. Mm-hmm. I've seen some good reviews of Beef, so it, it's been on my list. But you're the first person I know who's actually watched it, so yeah, that one. Um, I'll hopefully get round to that one at some point. It's been a bit of an un-Andy-like viewing recently for me. So I've got two reality TV shows to recommend, which is a bit odd. Yeah. So Jury Duty, which is one I mentioned to you guys in the group chat the other day. Jury Duty is everybody in this court case. So everyone on the jury, the judge, prosecutors, you know, everybody are all actors apart from one man. And they try and test his limits and push it. They're all... They're all sort of real people. Like, There's one guy who is obsessed with, you know, furthering the human race. So he's built um, a, like a portable chair, which attaches to the back of his legs. And it's all silly little things, but it's stuff that you do recognise in humans and they push it to the nth degree and see how far he can go before he cracks. But the guy who is the centre of the show is such a nice bloke that he never actually loses his rag with these people. Uh, but the best bit is that James Marsden's in it, who you'll know as Cyclops from the X-Men films and shitloads of other stuff. Uh, and he's playing James Marsden. And the judge acts like he doesn't realise that James Marsden is this big, well-known actor. So he sequesters them all into this hotel because of him. And James Marsden just plays this wonderful, idiotic arsehole in this show. It's really funny. It's really well produced. If you like the Nathan Fielder type of show, I believe he's a writer on this. So if you like that, you'll you'll enjoy this. And the other reality TV show that I was going to recommend was Scared of the Dark, 
on Channel 4. It's presented by Danny Dyer, which is not someone I thought, again, I would be recommending a show of him. And it was eight celebrities who get put into a dark pod, a bit like Big Brother, pretty much. They get forced to stay in the dark for a, an entire week. And when I say in the dark, it's not like they're just in an industrial unit with the lights off. There is literally no light penetrating this unit, so you cannot see a single thing. They couldn't see the hand in front of their face. And it's got Chris McCausland, who you would uh, probably seen on 8 Out of 10 Cats. He's a blind stand-up comedian. So all these other celebs who recited during their every day he was the one having to lead them around because he knew how to handle not being able to see and like it was quite heartwarming really emotional and really funny and Chris Eubank was in it and he immediately pissed everybody off he was such <laughs> a bell end Gazza's in it some guy from I was gonna say the script but I don't think it's the script the wanted maybe Max George I don't know that much modern music, but he was in his, apparently he'd lost a friend a couple of years ago and he was like dealing with his emotions. Georgia Moffat, some girl who was in the Sandman TV series. And like, you know me, you know I don't like big brothery kind of stuff, but this was superb. Really, really good. They're all, mm. there's five episodes, they're available on 4OD or whatever the streaming channel is called now. Right, so moving on, Guardians of the Galaxy. Matt, what did you think? I loved it. I thought it was the most complete of the three films in terms of having its humour, its characters, having not all but majority have a resolution to what was going on, at least during the trilogy, um, having heart, breaking hearts... And having a story that I cared about, it, it, it was very much, I said to Stu afterwards, it, the thing was, it, it had the and or quality about it. And what I mean by that is, it <laughs> existed within a universe, but it was completely separate from that universe. It, was a, it lived within Marvel, but it wasn't a Marvel film. It was in the same way that Andor lived in the Star Wars universe, but there wasn't a lightsaber or the force anywhere near it to, to mould it and make it, shoehorn it into that world. I just loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Sam cried four times <laughs> during it, which should tell you everything. Um, I just thought it was wonderful. It's not without its flaws. It's not a perfect film, but... It's a, it's a 9 out of 10 for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Definitely my favourite of the three. Um, and I just hope they draw a line now with um, with what they do with that particular set of set of people. Mm-hmm. Stu, what did you think? Pretty much exactly the same. It's <laughs> I went on my own at half 12. Didn't start till t- until 22 because they forgot to press play. Um, so I thought, oh, this is a bad sign straight away. This is going to go all wrong. Um, I, I did a sneak, sneak in an extra piss just in case because we've been two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> but it, it it really didn't feel like that at all. <laughs> it felt, if anything, I kind of wanted an extra half hour just to just to add to the three hours that like, seems to be the norm now. But yeah, it, I proper teared up. I mean, I was on my own in the middle of a row with no one next to me, so I thought, oh, sod this. I'll just let it out. 
and um, and the tears as well. Uh, <laughs> and it, it was yeah, just we don't want to get, get spoilery. So there's you you watch it, you'll know why. Um, but yeah, I've got it down now as my number seven of thirty-two as a nine out of ten as well. Um, just way, way, way better than I thought it would be. And that's going in, as usual, blind. Um, I hadn't seen a single second of any, any teaser this time. So I other than knowing that Adam was in it because he'd been trial before, mm-hmm. um, I know what you're probably going to moan about changing characters and all that kind of stuff and whatever. But for me, for part of this... <laughs> Much maligned at this point, universe, and like what I, I said on Twitter straight after, it's the best one of Phase Four and Five, which isn't saying much, I know, but it is by hands down. It is, and the CG, then maybe one or two shots looked good again, which is a, a massive plus after the nonsense that we've had to suffer for the last three years. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, the, the CG. I can't remember the name of the, but you know the organic building that they were in. Mm. There was a couple of points in that it looked a little bit ropey, but compared to what we've sat through for the last god knows how many years, it was miles ahead of where it should have been. Well, talking about sets, you only have to go back a couple of months for Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Yeah, and obviously that... it's a similar setting. They're both in space, but yeah. you wouldn't know that they were like. Yeah, it was chalk and cheese, wasn't it? It was chalk and cheese. Um, but to your point on characters, so obviously you know that, like, when not the cinema that I like is generally character-driven pieces more so than action set pieces. Generally speaking, my problem with most Marvel films that you could have Iron Man in a Captain America film, you could have Captain America in a Thor film, and it wouldn't change anything. They'd still be exactly the same films, just with different gags. This wasn't that. This was a character-driven movie that was just based around a family about what, how they interact with each other, how they wanted things to move forward. And it was perfect. Like, it was absolutely brilliant. I teared up several times at it because it was just so moving. It was so incredibly heartfelt. It was everything that I want from Guardians of the Galaxy, from a James Gunn film. Like you both know that the first one is my favourite of the MCU films. I think this is a better film. Like I, I know I've posted that Simpsons gif of Bart being mocked for saying the line, it's the best one yet. This might be the best one yet. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely incredible. My, my only criticism, right at the very end, when you've got the, um, after the last credits, a post-credit scene, and it comes up with um, will return. I don't want to see him again. I don't want to see any of them again. You have told a complete story from start to finish of these strangers becoming a family and the love and everything at the end of that film is so palpable that there's nothing you could do with those characters that wouldn't diminish what has happened across those three and a half films, including the Christmas special. So I don't want to see any more. I thought it was absolutely incredible. And it's the perfect way to end the MCU for me. I, I, I've got no interest in watching any more now. I'm I'm quite happily done with it because it was just what I wanted from it. It was brilliant. Loved it. I think you might need to bleep that name out. 
What? Motherfucker! Yeah, because when he's in I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane! You think maybe? Yeah, yeah, good point. Ooh, Matt, yeah. do it like a proper comedy bleep as well. <laughs> like... <laughs> there's two now, because I, I mentioned it as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bleep that out, but that's literally my only issue with that film. You son of a bitch, Andy. All, like, even Sam was like, I'm going to come on that podcast, so I'm going to kick his ass. Like, she literally said that to me, because I was like, Andy the fucking fun police. He's going <laughs> to fucking say something about the mise-en-scene. <laughs> And he's gonna hate it. And then, <laughs> like, uh, no, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm chuffed you feel that way. To be fair, because yeah, it was just, um, it was great. I really, I loved everything about it. Um, but you're right. It let sleeping dogs lie. Now, the only thing though, so there's two things about it that I would that that, 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 that floored it for me. One was um, as someone who doesn't like know anything uh, really other than those films and the holiday special, like. Did I? I felt like I'd missed something because of the whole Gamora. Like obviously I've seen the End Game, End Game, and Infinity War, and everything else. But I just felt like, oh, like I've missed something here. Have I? Like, am I meant to know she's back? I don't remember her being back. Like all this kind of stuff. I know it's in the trailer. She's in the trailer. What did you mean? What do you mean back? They they brought her back in End Game, didn't they? When they did the yeah, that, that's what I mean. That's why when thought, they travelled well, back through time. Yeah, did they? They brought oh, her back in End Game. But oh, I don't remember that. But I think yeah. timeline wise, I was when I, I watched Guardians two on Sunday night, and I was like, I had to think to myself, when was this in the timeline as well? Um, but it's all this whole hokey timeline Spider Verse shit that I hate. Yeah, because uh, that's what yeah. that's what they were saying about when she said, "I'm not yours," mm. because she's not. She's from. She was the one that came from the past when, um, when they were going hopping around in uh, Endgame. Mm. I was going to say, there's the one part when um, when Quill is giving a potted history of their timeline, of him, yeah. her dying, and then we went back in time. And, what, and that bit, I thought that just completely negates the rest of the MCU because you've just explained everything and why the rest of the MCU is kind of shit. Like mm. they broke it with Endgame by being able to just bring people back whenever they fancy them. So and that made me laugh just because it says, yeah, the rest of this is nonsense, isn't it? Mm. The only other thing I didn't like about it, not so much like, but it was just a missed opportunity, is Peter Quill's obviously this alcoholic who can't get anything done. The Guardians of the Galaxy hate each other. Then all of a sudden he's cured of his alcohol dependency and he's no longer this mm. alky who's got this problem. He's he's just Star-Lord again pretty much straight away because he's got a purpose to go... You know, that was a bit like uh, it, it would yeah. have been it would have been better to have fleshed that out a little bit more. I mean, if you're going to do it for two and a half hours, make it two and three quarters and just give us a little bit more. But that was the mm. only thing. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with that. It would have been like if that had ended the first Rocky film with him winning. Like, there's no there's no redemption to be mm. done. And like they they kind of skipped over it. I, I think that's a fair criticism, but. Like when when I complained about it to our friend Ash, it was literally two minor things, and I felt like I was being really nitpicky because there's nothing really wrong with any of them for what's essentially you know a kids film. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's Guardians. Moving on, Matt, your questions up first, please. I want you to tell me what the best 
song is for a 2000s action film montage. There's a few prerequisites here. It has to be a film that involves a lot of leather or PVC in the action film. So we're talking like something like The Matrix or something along those lines where they go to like a club that's usually filled by vampires and it's goth music like Blade or something like that where it's, you know, it's a bit grimy along those lines, really. Guns, sex, Eastern European women, usually with short black hair, usually fit like you're in these montages all the time as well. So go, what's the best song for a montage of, of the early 2000s action flick? Stuart, you go first. Um, I'm just going to have to just double check that this is the right name of the song. Um, because it, there was one that, when you said black leather, so at first I thought, well, you could go the other way and you could have a kind of serene montage with Lifted by the Lighthouse family, but <laughs> what, you just, just, <laughs> <laughs> what you just described is not that. Um, I think it's pronounced tub thumping, was what you were after, Stu. <laughs> like Chumba Wamba, yeah. yeah. Um, no, Dope Show by Marilyn Manson. Okay, yeah. I mean, that is that world, pretty much, in a yeah. nutshell. Um, to be fair, mm. yeah, good choice. Good mm. choice. It's that, you know, sexy, should-have-known-better Jerry Springer vibes. Of, of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Except he's a, he said he's a sex pest. Was that the one that used to be the opening song to SmackDown in the uh, Yeah, I think it was, yeah. 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 Again, oh, there we are. Yeah. Pretty much spot on, to be fair. Andy, <laughs> what, do, what, what what's your take on this? Um, I, I wasn't sure on the rules. Does the song need to be from the 2000s? No, not necessarily. No. My song isn't. Okay. My song okay. Isn't. Oh, that's helpful. Um, that, that also means that I can go with my first choice because I was going to not go for this because it's Limp Biscuit Break Stuff. Mm-hmm. That feels yeah. like the right one to get you know pumped up, but I thought Matt is probably going to go for Limp Biscuit. So my second choice was going to be Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. But no, I, I like think um, break stuff. I, I think it would work perfectly, and like I can even visualize it to the chord structure and everything. I think it'd yeah. be perfect for for that kind of film. So mine is Engel by Ramstein, which I put in the group chat earlier because it's this weird mix of like monotonous chugging along, but then this whistling in the background, and this like I can just see it now. Like just listen to the start of Engel before it kicks into the guitar, and you can just see Trinity from the Matrix loading a gun, or you can see Blade walking through a club, and some lesbian is getting noshed off in the corner. Like it's just, <laughs> it's it's just got the two, early two thousands absolutely all over it, and I was like, oh my god, this like this should appear in every film, and. To the, so it's on the Mortal Kombat Annihilation soundtrack, which is just ex, it's just exactly the point. Like awful films <laughs> that fit not fantastic music, but really enjoyable guilty pleasure music, and they go hand in hand. Listen to it. Yeah, what was it called again? Engel, like E N G E L. There is an English version of Ramstein singing it and doing it, but it's not as good. So just listen to the original. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. Up next is my question. Um, so obviously when I went to New York on the way back, I watched Mean Girls on a plane. Um, <laughs> it was great and exactly what I needed because it was something I know well and I was tired. It was late. 
but I want to know what are the best and the worst films to watch whilst traveling long haul? Matthew. Uh, I've only ever traveled long haul for two journeys. One on my honeymoon to Mauritius, which was 12 hours each way. And New York was the other, which was eight there and seven back due to physics or the wind. Um, And I found that watching the worst, I would say, believe it or not, are your 90 minute silly comedies. Because they're over like quite quickly and it's not took a lot of that 12 hours out Mm -hmm. by watching Dodgeball you still got like ten and a half hours to go <laughs> once you've finished it, and it's like fuck. What do I? What do I do now? Whereas I'm telling you, if you stick Das Boot on, no, not Das Boot, but if you stick like The Godfather on, or you watch a you watch a long film, a long entertaining good film, it's going to see you through a good two and a half hour, three hour film, three and three, three and a quarter if you go for a piss and have something to eat midway through. You're talking nearly a third of your of your flight time, so. I, th- I actually f- films that are probably more enjoyable, like a, your ninety-minute silly films. Um, they're not the one for long haul flights, in my humble opinion. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. So I, I watched Mean Girls, and then I put on Family Guy because I thought I could actually get a little bit of sleep. So I thought I just put something on I know, mm-hmm. so I can just sort of drift off. So that was mine. But that's a good point. Stu, what's the best and the worst film that you could watch? Well, that's the complete opposite of that. <laughs> um, going on like couch logic as well, and I've said before, like if I'm watching a film that I want to watch, I won't watch it on a tiny screen. Mm. I just won't. I, I, I don't know. It's snobbery, I suppose. Um, so, <laughs> Road Trip was the first thing that came to mind. Nice. <laughs> um and th- that kind of genre of nonsense films around that that era, um, you can throw in a, a good favourite, Freddie Got Fingered as well, and that kind of stuff. And yeah, they are only 90 minutes, but that's the whole point. That you get in, you watch one, and then you go and do something else. And then you can come back and you know for while you've got time for another one. And then, and then go and do something else again. If you've got so much time to kill, then I'd rather do that than uh, commit myself to... to to some massive monologue, <laughs> um, like the Green Mile, which I couldn't think of anything worse. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'd gone with In Bruges for the the best one to watch there. I mean, I, when I was looking at films, it, I thought I want to watch a film that I know. I like you, Stu. If I'm watching a film that I want to see that I haven't seen before, watch it on a small screen whilst you're cramped up it's not really the best place to do it so I think you need to watch something that you've seen before ideally mm. and I, I kind of agree as well I'd prefer a shorter film because you've then got a chance you can go for a piss you can have your food you can do whatever you need to do and then you've got a chance to say well do I want to do another film or whatever so I think it breaks it up by being able to do several different ones so like In Bruges and Glass Onion were the two that came to my mind they're films <laughs> that I know I really enjoy they're funny and they've got like you know a good plot to pull you through with it as well so that that's the one the ones that I wouldn't want to watch would be like Boogie Nights. I love Boogie Nights, but it's so long and there's too much <laughs> sex in it. I don't want someone to watch me watching people banging. Like it just that would be weird. 
uh, or Left Behind. I think Left Behind would be a terrible film to watch on a plane, but it's a terrible film to watch at home and then record a podcast about as well. So. <laughs> Right, so Stu, your question next, please. I mean, this came about because I watched what my choice will be um, the other day, just out of curiosity, because it had been a while. So what is the best low-budget film that could easily pass as a blockbuster? Matthew. Now, there's a few here, because there are low-budget films that have done really well at the box office, but they don't look like box office films. So I've I've left them out. So I've got two. One is decidedly more expensive than the other, but Saw for one. Mm. Relatively low budget, looked stylistically brilliant, and I think it's it didn't have crazy set pieces, but there were set pieces in it due to all the traps and the contraptions and everything else. And it left a legacy, at least for a few films, where they were still passable and watchable and everything else. Um, but the real answer, and I still think it was like a 30 mil budget, which isn't cheap, but it's not expensive. It, it has to be District 9. Like, mm. it has to be. Like, it, that film is unbelievable in terms of its, just its aesthetics. Like, it could be. Like, it, no one, anyone could convince me that it was, it was 10 times its budget. Because of, a because of how good it is as a film, but b how it looks, it's just it's incredibly well done. Um, so I think, and I know it's a cheap, it's not like an indie darling film. I think yeah, it's like thirty mil. I'm sure the budget was, but it certainly doesn't look like a thirty mil. Look, some of those Nick Cage abominations are thirty mil. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No one, no one's giving them awards for how it looks. So yeah, those are the two for me. Mm, it's a top choice that is, because like. You are right. Those the aliens in that do not look like they come from a paltry thirty million dollar film. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if you just told me that was a ninety million dollar, I'd probably believe you. To be perfectly honest, they look legit. Saw is an interesting one because I'd got that on my list as well. Only one point two million dollars. Crazy. Like they did a fucking fantastic job with that film. I know most of it is set in one room, but they'd obviously made the use of the what I assume is a warehouse that they filmed in. To get the best out of it. So, yeah, I think that's a top shout. Um, Bronson only cost $230,000. Wow. Like, incredible. Uh, but my answer is 28 days later. Cost $8 million to make. And obviously, they, they did the tricks of filming at, like, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., so there was nobody around in London. So they made it look real. But it did look real, like, just mm-hmm. because it was filmed at 4am and everyone was knackered, it didn't look like that was the case. I think they did a fantastic job with such a low budget. They had a solid cast. They seemed to span the entire UK going through it. Again, I know they probably just went from like London to Essex, really, but <laughs> it didn't feel like it. Like Every penny of that $8 million they spent looked like it was spent 20 times because they did such a great job building that world it was fantastic work and then when they did 28 weeks later they spent more money but it looked cheaper so i I think that helps 28 days later's case a little bit as well yeah i mean (laughs) matt mentioned the film that i watched for the bought this up and it was district nine um (laughs) i mean the other one was blair witch obviously because blair witch was the first of its kind and you've had so many 
replicants of that that have come nowhere near close enough with a huge budget as well. But yeah, District 9, 30 million, a worldwide gross of 210. Wow, that's incredible. But I want to. I guess I blow which $60,000 they spent on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I bet that earned, I mean, I know it was an R rated horror, but I think that was still like a hundred and something times its budget they earned back. Something mm. incredible like that. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, there's with with District Nine. I, I saw it. Uh, there was a thing on YouTube about it, like a sixteen minute documentary on on why it looks as good as it does now. And they were because so they they were going into all of the things and what you'd normally do with green screen and whatever. But because it was all, it was literally shot using handheld cameras, and yeah. to get the effect, there was no reference points from the cameras, so they, they couldn't do a passing shot first and then just remove the actors to put the prawns in. So they had to go in and painstakingly remove every single like inch of each actor to reproduce them <laughs> later on. You mean, it was just, so that's probably why it, it cost 30 mil anyway, because mm-hmm. of just doing that. But proofs in the pudding, look how good it looks still. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Right, let's do a quick quiz and then we'll say our tarahs. Right, okay, Matt. Well, this quiz is on the Razzie Worst Picture winners. So these are going to be some absolute dog shit films. Right, Matthew. It's a romantic comedy from 2008 starring Mike Myers. Name that film. The Love Guru. Boom. It's The Love Guru. Well done. Get in, get in. <laughs> Stu, 1991 action comedy starring Bruce Willis as a cat burglar. Oh, bollocks. He's, there's a, a scene where he's jumping through a window it's by a train station as well. I've seen this before. Oh, no. Uh, I ain't going to get it, so I might as well pass. <sighs> Maths to get 2 up. Pass, don't care. I've won the quiz as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I got the first question right. It is Hudson Hawk. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. I knew you'd kick yourself on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez starred together in this film. Oh. The worst film of its year, apparently. Oh, God. What's... No. Oh, is it the one where she's a maid and gets married to him? Is it the one I'm thinking about? The, and it's the stepmom. It's not Made in Manhattan or no. Monsters in Law. No, I no, I don't know it then. It's Gigli. No, no, I wouldn't have got a clue. She plays a lesbian and he tries to cure her of her lesbianism. <laughs> if, no. if I remember right, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Sorry, Stu, I forgot to offer that one to you. Would you have no, got that one anyway? I wouldn't have got the I remember it coming out though because of the, for this reason and, and it's why they started taking the piss out of her in South Park as well. Yes, it was, yeah. <clears throat> Stu, uh, John Travolta starred in this sci-fi action film about a rebellion against aliens on Earth. <laughs> this this could have been put in the, the last category, but it wouldn't be ever, because it's awful, Battlefield Earth. Yep, it's Battlefield Earth. Absolutely stinks. It is a, you know, <laughs> it's a Scientology film, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> Matt... 
Not only did this animated film from 2017 win Worst Picture, it also won Worst Director, Worst Screen Combo and Worst Screenplay. 2017 animated film that was absolutely slaughtered. God. Um... No, no, I, I can't think. Would it help know. if I told you that James Corden was in it? Oh, shit. Um, yeah, I know. No, I, I think I'll know it when you say it. But no, go on, I'll freak it to Stu. Stu? I was thinking cats then, but it's not cats. <laughs> it's it? not cats, no. <laughs> no. It is the Emoji Movie. The Emoji Movie, yeah, yeah. Dear. Stu, romance film starring Madonna and directed by Guy Ritchie. Oh, God. For fuck's sake. <laughs> the only thing I could think, the last thing I saw with Madonna was Die Another Day, and that was bad enough for everything ever. He <laughs> um, can't be worse than this. I've, I've got no idea. I would, no. Did she meet Ma- him on that film? No. I think he did it because they were married and he couldn't get out of it. Matt, any clues? Is it is it the album that she did that had Vogue on it and that's why she was in the film? I, I don't think. think so. Oh, I don't know then. Because that's no. Dick Tracy, isn't it, I think? Oh yeah, it is, is it? yeah. No, no this is it. this is much later. Uh this is swept away. No, I've never heard of it. No, no, that's no. fair. Um, right, next question, Matt. Final part of the vampire film series based on the books by Stephanie Meyer. The final part is Breaking Dawn. Is that right? It is, yeah. Twilight like Breaking Dawn, yeah. Yeah. Part two, actually, is the final part. Yeah, but I'll, I'll let you off with a part two, to be fair. But yeah, that's it. Uh, Stu, remake featuring The Thing, The Invisible Woman and The Human Torch. <laughs> fantastic Four. It's the Fantastic I've, I've still never seen it and will never see. There's no need. Which, the original or the remakes? No. The, the original's one... better than the remakes. The Roger Corman film. And it's shocking. Uh, Matt, Halle Berry starred as the title character in this superhero film. Catwoman. Catwoman. It's 3-2 going into the final question. Stu. Oh, this is right up your street. It's an erotic film from 1996 starring Demi Moore as a stripper. A striptease? It's striptease, so the points are shared this week with a three-all draw. Honours even. Yeah, that's it. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. Good game. Good game. Next time we've got Hugh Grant movies or Dawson Creek actors, so that'll be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, Next week we'll be doing Guarding Tess. Um, Nicolas Cage plays Doug, a Secret Service agent who gets assigned to protect Tess. A former first lady, just when he's had enough of her high-handedness, she gets kidnapped. Now he must do whatever it takes to save her. (laughs) It sounds kind of fun in that 1994 way of it could happen to you, that sort of era of Cage. 
Um, it is available to rent on Prime, but just check justwatch.com to see where it's available for you. The poster screams 94. Oh, yeah, massively. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, make sure you subscribe on whatever podcaster that you're listening to us on. And if you can leave us a review, we would love you forever. Uh, please tell any friends as well, just to try and help us get some more listeners. We would truly love that. It'd be fantastic. Uh, but for this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Hope you had fun with this episode, even with the slight uh, tangent on bees. Um, we very much would like to hear from you if you've ever been stung by a bee, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I hope, uh, hope you had fun anyway. Look after yourselves and have a good week. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? I think that's kind of why I was kind of trepidatious towards them because it did happen to me once when there was one just having a little rest on top of the tap in the middle of the night and I put my hand like to, to turn the tap on and it went straight through me. And it's all like, ow. Um, that, that didn't help. But yeah, I've, I've made my peace with the B world now, so it's all okay. But the main, the main part of this podcast, though, MCU's back. So we get to talk about the next film. Yay. Goodbye. <laughs> Weirdly, I don't think I've ever seen a bee at night. Now you mention it like just saying you, it was at night. I, I don't think I've ever seen a bee at night. Hmm, that's a good point. This is like do birds recharge themselves on telephone lines or <laughs> whatever it is? Yeah, excellent. Anyway, it's goodbye from me and remember be excellent to each other. <laughs>